when you're faced with adversity, do you flounder or fly? I'm Simon Ratcliffe, and on Turning the Tables, I share candid, powerful stories of people who have turned around adversity in their personal or business lives to find new purpose and meaning. If it's humanly possible, you can do it. Marcus Aurelius In times of human crisis like we're facing at this moment, how do we cope? How do we manage the physical and emotional challenges that are going to present themselves? And perhaps most crucially, how do we come out the other side better human beings? Hey, it's Simon, and this is Turning the Tables. Firstly, I wanted to say a really warm welcome to anybody who's new to this podcast. And if you're a regular listener, thank you so much for your continued support. It means a great deal. As I looked out the window of the house this morning, there was an eerie silence. A robin flew down and perched on an upturned plant pot, preening and fluffing its wings. It was surveying the scene before hopping down and grabbing a worm, making its last gasp effort to disappear beneath the ground. It struck me right there, right at that moment. Life for many of us has stopped, and yet Mother Nature carries on. A strange reality has really descended upon us. Where do I start? Many of us will be at home isolating. Some will be part of the army of people who are trying to keep us functioning as nations. And some, of course, will be on the front line battling this new invader in hospitals and the community. One thing is for sure, and that is whichever situation you find yourself in, this worldwide crisis will challenge us mentally. Our sense of self, our relationships, our values and even our livelihoods. I was thinking about publishing an episode reflecting on the learnings from my guests on the podcast so far. Now felt like the right time. And as an added bonus, if you missed an episode, you might hear something from my guests that prompt you to go back and listen to their episode. So here we go. Drawing on my own experience and that of my guests, I've identified five strategies we can adopt that offer some insight and practical advice on how we can make this time just a little bit less stressful and even find some inspiration to help us come out the other side stronger. In the words of William Shakespeare, Sweet are the uses of adversity, which, like the toad, ugly and venomous, wears yet a precious jewel in his head. If there was one residing message that has come through from all of my guests on this podcast, it is that the first and most important lesson on dealing with adversity is acceptance. Resisting the reality of the situation you cannot reasonably control, or denying the problem exists, is a surefire way to limit our ability to face up and tackle 
the challenge. As people, we have amazing skills of resilience and ingenuity. But these skills and capabilities can't be liberated if we don't first accept the challenge facing us. Dr. Niall Campbell, in episode 12, my most recent podcast, made this point strongly about people facing addiction and mental health challenges. Recognising that this is a thing, that this is an actual condition, not just in your head some made-up thing in your own head, this is a condition and you can treat it. And that is a huge step, that insight. There's still what we learnt at medical school, the clinical iceberg, there's more people out there with conditions than come forward for treatment, like the iceberg, you know, it's only a tenth of it above the water or whatever. Most people with mental health issues don't, don't do anything about it and don't want to for a variety of reasons. Um, in the same way that many people who have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, all that, don't want to do anything about it. They're in denial, so, and therefore don't get th- treat things that are perfectly treatable, don't ever get treated. In episode two, Derek Woodgate talked about how through therapy later in life he got to understand and accept how being abandoned as a child by his mother to live with his aunt and uncle had affected him and his relationships. But also how it drove him to strive to excel at the things he did in his life. Knowing who you are, right? That is the most important aspect of all this, with all the good and the bad, you know? I mean, I now know that I had a whole life that was influenced, certainly probably 40 years of it, by abandonment issues and attachment issues. I wasn't aware of that, but no, because I think that one has to focus on those qualities and read those qualities. You know, a lot of it's about, you know, reading, well, reflecting upon oneself and reading those qualities, both positive and negative, right? I mean, and adapting and, and being really adapt. I'm a futurist. I know how much this world changes. In my own experience, accepting the reality of a chronic illness and depression spurred me on to find a way out, which led me to discover a recovery program and a determination to get out of the situation I was in. In the early days, there was considerable denial going on concerning the coronavirus. But now latterly, with some people believing it won't affect them. This behaviour has, of course, led governments to take draconian actions, limiting people's liberties to force behaviour change. As anyone will know who has studied behaviour change or been in the communications business, behaviour change is very difficult, especially when you need that change to happen immediately. Dr John Campbell, no relation to Niall, has become something of a YouTube sensation with over half a million followers and tens of millions of views for his daily vlogs reporting on the coronavirus. He's been a staunch critic of governments being slow to react and learn the lessons from what what has happened in China and Italy. You can check out the link in the show notes. On a more personal level, Kate Rizzi, in episode three, had to come to terms with discovering in her early 20s that her father was gay and her mother was an alcoholic. 
She struggled, understandably, with these realities, but once she accepted these facts, it had a profound and cathartic effect and drove her into education and, as she said, to become a born-again truth-teller. The honest answer is I learned from an early age to look beyond the obvious, the surface level of life. And I was able to enter adulthood with a distinct advantage of knowing that people were far more complex than they might first appear. Having a father who was gay and growing up Catholic at the same time in the 1960s was a, it was a challenge. But understanding that there are nuances beyond my immediate grasp has allowed me marvelous opportunities that would otherwise have been ignored because they, wouldn't, they don't appear immediately sexy or cool. Growing up with a father who is gay and being raised Catholic in the 1960s was most definitely challenging. But it was also a really good flexing of a muscle that I would come to learn is called something like things are way more nuanced than they appear. And that awareness that was sort of in my development from a very early age has made life so much more interesting and intriguing, fascinating, and it's made me able to stay curious about myself and other people. And I really do appreciate that. In summary, one of my fellow podcasters, David Reynolds, from Seth Godin's podcast Fellowship, put it well. Acceptance of a situation is not throwing in the towel. Yield, but don't give up. What realities have you been resisting that might be causing you anxiety and stress? What would change if you accepted the situation as it exists? What might you do differently? How can you adapt or change course to find new purpose and motivation? How do you look at a difficulty or a challenge? The second strategy I want to talk about is framing. As human beings, we instinctively look for problems or threats. That's the way we're wired. And that's how we've survived. Still, this neurological bias can create an unrealistic perception of challenges and critically inhibit a person's ability to change. This brain chatter does a merry dance with the psychological concept of status quo bias, an emotional bias which favours the current state of affairs. The situation we are in becomes the reference point and any change is perceived as a loss. It's crazy, but it even applies when you're in an adverse situation. There's a lot of scientific evidence to show that this status quo bias frequently affects our decision-making, and it can have a crippling effect on our ability to overcome adversity. In my working life, I got to understand how framing can have a powerful impact on understanding why people do what they do. There was a great advertising campaign for a newspaper here in the UK that showed a skinhead with angry features, rolled up jeans and heavy boots running across the road 
towards an older man walking on the other side of the street. He leapt on the man, pushing him to the ground. The camera pulled back to reveal scaffolding planks falling onto the pavement where the man had walked. Situations are not always as they seem, and that can apply to the challenges of adversity. People with disability who go on, for example, to win medals and compete at the Paralympics, or as Stephen Hawking did, become a world-renowned expert in their field, put a different complexion on their disability. Will the loss of a job be framed as an adverse career-defining event or an opportunity to find new direction? Francine Lawrence, in episode four, had this challenge in the latter part of her business life. Every day I would go to work and feel like I was fighting a battle for all the people who were older. Every idea I came up with, people would roll their eyes and think, well, why does anyone want that? Uh, you know, a, a book about gardening. Gardening? You know, they didn't even know what it was. So I got a bit, um, yeah, I got a bit depressed. And then um, it must have come through a bit because... Um, I got made redundant, and that was a bit of a shock. I mean, do you believe that there was age prejudice in, in that decision? I do, yes. Yes, I do. To be rejected, and pretty much conclusively because of my age, I think, that was a, oh dear, that's a shock. So is this it? Is this it? Mm. But went on to find happiness in a way she hadn't envisaged before. I'd say you can't see it now, but this is a good thing. It'll make you stronger. It'll make you look at yourself. And one thing is for sure in this life, nothing, nothing lasts forever. So even though you're going through a horrible, horrible time and you think that you can't get out of this terrible situation that you're in, whether it's depression, whether it's no money, whether it's whatever it is, it will not last. But hey, it doesn't have to be the momentous and life-defining. We all have a choice to frame each small challenge in a way which allows us to move forward. The business project that didn't quite work out. The boss that omitted to praise us for our stellar presentation. John Bailey eloquently talked about this in episode five. I think the stage I'm at now is just a realization, and I've heavily stressed this, that life has been extraordinarily kind to me. And I don't go in for regret, but if I wish one thing, it would have been that I had completely savored every single moment of joy, rather than worrying about the cup being dashed from my lips. And if I do have any message, it really is simply that, that life is the most precious gift and to waste a second of it really isn't on the cards at all. We are just so, so lucky to have it. Number three, the power of positive thinking. The happy bedfellow of framing is positive thinking another central theme to overcoming adversity. Will the coronavirus be a dagger in the heart of our way of life, defining a long period of economic depression, or will it be a catalyst for positive change? Could it be a force for good, a moment where people came together 
to address some of the massive issues that threaten us and the planet. The mentality of our nations will go a long way to influencing the outcome. Writer Felix Riley dramatically demonstrates how the power of positive thinking can be a force for good in overcoming adversity. If I can jump onto one thing that was really important to me, and, it, and I know this is massive in my life. I grew up on a, a charming little council estate in Essex, but it was next door to Chigwell. And Chigwell was where you had some of the most expensive houses in Britain. And it's beautiful, and, there's, and, I, I, and Alan Sugar lives there and all that. And I did three newspaper rounds every day. Um, I used to get up at five, and I'd get on my bike, and I'd do three newspaper rounds. Because, and two things were happening. One, I hated being poor. I hated it so much. I was angry about being poor, actually. I was angry that my dad was poor. Not, not as him. That people were poor when there was money in the world. And, I'd, but, and so I was angry, and that drove me. I wanted to make money. But also, I used to go up to these houses every day, and this is, I can't overstate the impact of this on my life. I used to go from my lovely little council house full of, full of people, and I'd go up to these unbelievable driveways, to Alan Sugar's mansion, whatever, and I used to think, I want that house. I want that. And I, that's what burned in my head. The inspirational Henry Fraser, a young man I'd love to interview on this podcast, suffered a tragic holiday accident which broke his spinal cord at the age of 17 and left him in a wheelchair. Henry has used a ferociously positive approach to build himself a career as a writer and an award-winning painter. J.K. Rowling described him as one of the most remarkable people I've ever met. His book, The Little Big Things, has become a bestseller. His motto is simple. Every day can be a good day. The question is, will adversity define you or be a springboard for something new? Number four, determination, resilience and Stoic philosophy. The Stoic philosophy founded by the ancient Greeks in the 3rd century BC with proponents such as Marcus Aurelius, who I quoted at the beginning of the podcast, and Seneca, is seeing something of a resurgence in modern thinking. Its central premise is that the development of self-control and endurance are the means to overcome destructive emotions. Stoicism doesn't concern itself with complicated theories about the world, but with acting on what can be acted upon, not endless debate. A stoic attitude to adversity sometimes it's misinterpreted to mean just putting up with difficulties. But this is an injustice to the subtlety of the thinking. It is much more about the ability to focus in the moment on the adversity you face and to move forward with determination and resilience. A stoic determination was brilliantly demonstrated by my guest Linda Hodgson in episode one. Linda overcame this challenging childhood and prejudiced against her as a woman and as a secretary to run multi-million pound accounts for a global advertising agency. At each step where barriers and obstacles confronted her, she refused to give up. My feeling is that I have this determination to break down barriers and it came from my childhood. And my childhood as well 
You know, often if you have children talk about their childhood in the 50s, you know, it wasn't easy. My parents were quite poor. We lived in a tiny little flat in London. A little attic flat. We had three rooms, a tiny kitchen, and we shared toilet and bathroom with another family. My brother and I shared a tiny little bedroom until I was 13, and my little brother still slept in my parents' room, and he was um, still three, it was about three when we moved. So it was quite hard, and I took on a lot of responsibility. I was the big sister. My mother suffered from depression, I now realise, but she wouldn't accept medical help. I, I do remember one time when my dad tried to get her to go and see the doctor. Um, but I realise now with hindsight that this is what was happening for her because we were struggling in this tiny, tiny flat with little money to live on and there was little opportunity to be rehoused. So I grew up with a lot of stress and anxiety around me. Seeing how these circumstances can affect everyone's well-being, I think, made me start to think and gave me this determination to live a different life. And, and that's when that sort of feeling of, this is not how I want my life to be, um, sort of began to set in. Felix Riley, in episode 11, talked about how his modest working-class background had driven him to succeed with a great determination. Felix went on to be a comedy writer, a novelist, and a successful entrepreneur. You know, but actually, for the most part, 99% of jobs are very doable. And 99% of tasks are very doable. So, so I, fi I find that there isn't much mystery to the world. And I find that it gives me a lot of cause for optimism. So I go into any task and think, well, I can do this. What's going to be the hard about this? You know, it's, it's just another task. So, uh, so I, I think that's the big thing, I really. So I just think life's not as hard as people think. And just you persevere. Perseverance is, for me, it's 90% of it. It mm. is, you know. I mean, yes. it's, you know, it's, you know, you're not successful, you're just not successful today, you know. But also make sure you understand what success is. You know, if you think it's money, bless you, but you're so wrong. You know, if you think it's fame, bless you, but you're so wrong. That's not success. Uh, but, yeah, but perseverance. The final strategy I want to talk about is something you might not expect. Kindness. Kindness is, of course, not focused on ourselves, but focused on others. Difficulty, not surprisingly, tends to make us look inwards towards our world and our situation. Yet it is often how we relate to others that can be the route through adversity. In my interview with Michael Crawford, it was apparent that warmth and kindness were crucial parts of Michael's character as an actor and as a person. We talked about the charitable work he'd done over many years working with sick children. My charity's always been for children, that you look after kids who have less of a chance in their childhood than I had. Because you're involved in, I think it's... Um, the Sick Children's Trust, Sick I've been president of for 30 years. A little bit about... Um, well, it supplies accommodation for parents and children who are having life-threatening illnesses and they have treatment, they have treatment for their, their conditions and they say they live in... Uh, I, I don't know, Oxford. They go to the Cambridge House. We have about nine, ten houses around the country that will provide free accommodation for a family so that they, the family won't be broken up and the siblings can be together 
so that they're not left out and separated for any length of time. The parents don't have to travel to Oxford from Cambridge every day to see their child, otherwise they're sleeping next to the bed. Yes. So it, it's something that I got involved with quite yes. a ways back. And then I have my own charity, which is it's called the Michael Crawford Children's oh, Charity. Okay. Yes, so we have people who will run for us in the, in the marathon, and the rest I supply from... Uh, my income. Doing things that, that slip through the social services yes. that can't supply. Yes. Like you've got, you've got a family of four and one child can't join in and play. Yes. You, you you make it that they can have a tricycle. They've got involvement in life. And uh, and the main thing that you have is, is love for those close to you. It's, it's, it's so vitally important. There are some incredible scientifically proven benefits that have come from acts of kindness. People over 50 are 50% less likely to die early if they do volunteer work, more significant than exercising four times a week. Neuroscience is confirming that acts of kindness find their way into the chemistry and structure of our brains. We can change the wiring of the brain through simple acts of kindness, becoming a habit in our everyday lives. Kindness is proven to improve energy, feelings of self-worth and optimism. And by increasing oxytocin, it also helps to lower blood pressure and overall heart health. Not bad, eh? In the UK, there's been an extraordinary response to the plea from government for volunteers to help the health service in the current crisis, with over half a million people volunteering to help. The same commitment is happening around the world. This gives us real hope for the future. Following the collapse of the business she was running and the sudden death of her father, lawyer and investment fund manager Jane Murray in episode 6 questioned her values and life purpose. I mean, there is a period of time there, there's maybe about six months that I just really, it's very difficult to kind of pick anything out of. It was just, it's like a, you, you know, you literally are putting one foot in front of the other and you're just dealing with things. Uh, so that was late 2015 that that happened. And then in the middle of 2016, we had the Brexit vote in the UK and then the beginning of the what turned out to be the Trump election cycle in the US. And I think that, interestingly, that, that, that sort of external shock woke me up out of the shock that I had experienced, you know, in the, with, the death of, um, with the death of my dad and everything that had to be dealt with. And I really, it's for some reasons that I can't really account for now, it, it, it totally crystallised for me that sense that had been growing of the importance of reconciling those two kind of um, opposites in me, that kind of world of chaos and the world of order, and expressing that in in a way where that was completely in line with the with my own personal values. Her renaissance came through the creation of a business fundamentally aimed at promoting acts of kindness. One of the hardest things for me living you know with it in the background with all of that kind of drama and you know excitement and high octane kind of going on in the background is that I was completely incapable 
of being content, um, being in my ordinariness, you know, and I think, and I think that that is one of, I think of all of the things that face us as a kind of crises um, globally, I think our inability to be ordinary is, is, is one of the biggest ones. I think, I think that that is at the root of our environmental crisis, right? That we, you know, we, 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 that needs to, to, to have more, to strive more, to produce more, to be more, to be, you know, it's that, that endless movement forward. But, you know, the ordinariness of, of our lives, <clears throat> those small moments, right? The beauty that's in, I don't know, a, you know, a loving glance or a kind word, right? That, that is your life. Finally, the last word goes to Felix Riley, who offers us this reflection. I'm, I think I've just been stunned, as I have got older and wiser, how many situations could be fixed with kindness and people choose not to. I know people in my life who are desperate for some kindness and from certain people, and they're not getting it. And I just think it's inexcusable. I think it's such an easy act, you know, to do. It's that... and I. And there's something wrong with us when we can't just stop and find that moment to help someone. So let's summarise the five strategies we've talked about to help overcome adversity. The first, acceptance of current circumstances we find ourselves in. Resistance creates barriers to change. Acceptance allows us to move forward. Number two, was framing the situation. The way you look at a problem determines the way in which you will look to address it. And allied to that was number three, thinking positively, where we heard a number of my guests talking about how positive thinking has really influenced their ability to get through the challenges in their lives. We then talked about resilience, determination and adopting a stoic philosophy in strategy number four. And finally, practicing acts of kindness. Kindness can have a powerful effect on ourselves as well as the people we give that kindness to. For many of us, this is a time for reflection and perhaps for recalibrating our priorities and our values. Adversity is there to challenge us, to allow us to learn and grow. The question is, will we take it? Will we grab the gift of adversity as individuals, as communities and as nations? I hope that these insights and strategies will help you in some way to deal with the challenges in your life and even help in this difficult time to deal with the impact of the coronavirus. Any one of these strategies could be the key to unlocking a way forward, but in combination, they have the power to change. Let me leave you with a couple of quotes. Adversity has ever been considered the state in which a man most easily becomes acquainted with himself. Samuel Johnson. Robert Caldini, the behavioural scientist, published a message to people in the midst of this crisis, saying, 
the darkest hour occurs just before the dawn. Prepare for the dawn. Stay safe. Hope to see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning the Tables. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and be sure to listen out for the next episode where I again will be exploring with my guests how they turned adversity into advantage. See you next time. Go safely.